the podcast on the Sing Second Sports Network are a ProVision Advisors production. At ProVision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. Visit ProVisionAdvisors.net to learn more. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the one and only Navy Football Podcast, brought to you by New Day USA, our friend Admiral Tom Lynch, New Day USA, and uh, they are all about current and retired veterans and doing home mortgages. You'll hear my read later in the pod about New Day USA. But guys, East Carolina preview. Navy's going down to Greenville to play East Carolina, which is an up-and-coming program in the American Athletic Conference. Under Mike Houston as head coach, the East Carolina has really improved, um, made a had a winning season and a bowl berth for the first time in about five years last season. Unfortunately, clinched that bowl bid against Navy with a very heartbreaking 38-35 victory in which Owen Daffer hit a field goal at the buzzer to give East Carolina a victory in a back-and-forth affair. But before we kind of get into the game, let's have some fun and remember the fact that Navy has really owned East Carolina, and this dates back to the days before Navy was in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, They had home-and-home series with East Carolina, and Navy has had pretty tremendous success against East Carolina. They have won seven of the nine meetings to date. East Carolina's lone wins, by the way, have come in Annapolis. There was a controversial game in which I believe it was Matt Aiken, if I remember correctly, caught what appeared to be a touchdown pass in the end zone, and it was overturned. It was kind of the whole, you know, did he complete the catch rule, which I hate. I mean, he caught the ball. He was in the end zone. It should have been a touchdown. And Navy should have won, but it was overturned. And then last year was the other victory. But Keenan, uh, your first season, you you took over the starting quarterback at, at uh, Air Force on October 6th of 2012. And three weeks later, you all went down to East Carolina and beat them 56 to 28. And then your senior year, Actually, I'm yeah. Your senior year, you at home, you all beat East Carolina 45-21, and that those are two of the more lopsided victories. I'll give you another one. The very first Navy at East Carolina game I ever covered was in 2010, and Navy put 76 points on East Carolina, 76-35. Ricky Dobbs was the quarterback that year. Eric, were you on that team? No, I, I graduated in 09. Um, oh, Ricky probably, yeah, Ricky probably would have would not have handed the ball up anyways. So yeah. <laughs> well, so Keenan, do you remember going down to East Carolina your plebe year and laying it on them in those 56 points? I remember Navy just going up and down the field. I think he scored on practically every drive. Yeah, I definitely remember that game. I remember uh, it, it was a little it was a little rainy, but we were able to go in and I think that game really kind of started up the the role that we went on over the next over the rest of that season um and then senior year obviously that was uh i, w- I want to say that was our first conference game uh, in the aac 
I think that I'm pretty sure that was the first official game. It was. So that was, so that was a great way to to get started and, and and get the ball rolling in that season, which turned out to be a phenomenal year for us. So um, a lot of success against ECU, and, and so hoping to continue that trend uh, on the road this week. Yeah, that was uh, you all beat Colgate in the opener of 2015. Then East Carolina was first league game, 45-21 win, and that wound up being an 11-2 season. Capped, uh, capped off by the victory over Pitt in the Military Bowl. So, guys, uh, Chris is our – Cervello is our producer. Chris, is it true what someone just told me that East Carolina is a 17-point favorite? Yeah, that's right. Somewhere between 16 and 17. Most of them have been at 17, but there are a few that are as low as 16. What's, what's over under, Chris? Uh, 49 points. Wow. Well – I gotta say that's seventeen point favorite. That's that's uh, I, I'm surprised by that. I know the Navy's been struggling, but I I'm surprised by that number. Um, East Carolina is two and one. Really should be undefeated. Uh, they lost a, a nationally ranked North Carolina State team twenty one twenty. And Owen Daffer, the hero of last year's game, who hit the clutch fifty four yard field goal, which was a career long at the time. He missed a chip shot field goal and he missed an extra point. So right there, that tells you that's ball game in a, in a 21-20 loss. Then East Carolina turned around and beat Old Dominion thoroughly and uh, 39-21. Old Dominion had beaten Virginia Tech in the season opener. And then last week, they laid it on Campbell, which is a FCS team, 49-10. Uh, they got a guy, Holton Aylers, as a quarterback. He's been around a while, five years, played a lot of games, 45 total games, 40 straight starts. Last week, he became the American Athletic Conference all-time leader for passing yardage with 12,332 total yards. That's how many car yards Keenan rushed for in his career, but Keenan didn't pass for that much. So go to Eric first. You know, going on the road to Greenville, you're, you're a heavy underdog. Your offense has not played well. You've had a two weeks off. You had a bye week to try to get things straight. What's Navy got to do to upset East Carolina? Well, I, I actually listened to the East Carolina head coach press conference uh, a couple of days ago or yesterday. And what he said was, you know, they've been practicing this triple option every Sunday for walkthroughs and also, you know, for, for practice and also for all preseason. So this is not something that they're going you know, to be blind to. It's just going to be the speed and, and pick up the play. Um, you know, as we always talked about, the quarterback needs to play. Quarterback needs to show up. Ty needs to be, you know, the guy that we all we all want him to be. And we need some big plays. Um, you know, Navy really hasn't had those, you know, two or three huge X-factor plays that just kind of change the game. So I would love, a, you know, a huge score uh, by Ty. And I'll, I'll also like a pick six. Or maybe, I, I, you know, for me, special teams is always huge. So, if you know, amazing special teams play either, uh, you know, block a punt, block a kick, or, or something of that nature. Well, I actually just wrote about Mikel Haywood because he grew up in the Raleigh area of North Carolina. He went to Wake Forest, which is a perennial powerhouse. They won two state championships while Mikel was there. East Carolina offered Mikel a scholarship after he rushed for 1,222 yards as a junior and led Wake Forest to a state title. But Mikel suffered a torn ACL midway through his senior season and East Carolina pulled that scholarship offer last season. 
Mikel returned a kickoff 98 yards for a touchdown against East Carolina, and he loved it because of what had happened with East Carolina pulling his scholarship. He'll never forget that. And I wrote about him. It's going to be in tomorrow's paper posted online at CapitalGazette.com, the story about Mikel. But he's still got a chip on his shoulder about East Carolina. So that would be nice. Uh, a kickoff return for touchdown, a pick six for a touchdown, that would help the offense. But yeah. Keenan, so far, the Navy ranks second to last in the entire country in points per game, 10 points per game. Um, I think that's why the spread is 17, because the odds makers figure that East Carolina is going to score at least 28, and they don't think Navy can keep pace. What is your thoughts on the offense? Can the offense get things turned around? Is this offense, is there any way that with a two-week layoff, this offense could actually come out and score 28 points? Well, anything's possible, right? Uh, and I don't say that in a mean meaning to that this could, that's a long shot. Like, I definitely think that they can. What I'm looking for is you had two weeks off. Like, are we going to be doing the same things, right? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So offensively, have we gone back to the drawing board, reanalyzed, self-scouted, like, okay, what are we doing wrong? What are we, what are we doing well? How do we index on what we're doing well? I think I talked about the last podcast of like leaning into Ty Shrimps more instead of trying to put him in a template that doesn't fit with his style of play. I think at this point, that's what you have to do, radical changes. Um, and not saying like, you know, changing Navy football's identity. Like we, we are who we are, but there's definitely room within that identity to lean into your personnel so that they can be the most successful. I think one of the benefits that we have as a team uh, is in today's society, everything kind of comes and goes in a 24 hour cycle. So two weeks off, you kind of have discussed the last game out of your, out of your, out of your head. You don't have that bad taste in your mouth anymore. The fans are back excited and maybe football's back. So it's almost like new energy, a brand new start to the season. Like the first two games didn't go well, not very good. Had a bye week. All right, let's let's flush and let's restart. So on that note, uh, Mikel Haywood, who I mentioned, has been one of the bright spots on offense. He's a slot back. He's averaging seven yards per carry, whereas the fullbacks and tie are averaging three yards or less per carry. And He's also caught two passes for 77 yards. He had a 43-yard reception and a 34-yard reception. I'm advocating getting the ball in Mikel Haywood's hands more often. I don't know what you do. I have also, there's a, I am a one of many Navy fans who would like to see a little more of a short passing game implemented. More, you know, the fullback screen. I remember Eric Katani catching a fullback screen and rumbling 15 yards. Um, that play is a nice little play that works. I know I don't know the last time I seen Navy call the fullback screen or the slot back running across the formation. It's an easy little catch and throw. You know, he breaks from his uh, across the formation and you throw it and it's it's a little five yard throw. It's almost like a running play. Keenan and Eric, I want you both to weigh in. Do you think that Navy should add some short passing elements? And do you see ways in which a playmaker, an obvious playmaker like Mattel Haywood, could get more touches. Yeah, I mean, so let's start with the playmakers, right? So I think we've seen it over the first two games, and you just highlighted it with the stats. The strength of this team offensively right now is the A-backs. So how do we get them the ball? Running the conventional triple is, is difficult to get them the ball because there's a lot of pressure that they're running two guys to the pitch, and especially knowing that the A-backs are so good, 
on our team, there's going to be added emphasis in stopping them. So you have to find different ways to, to run your offense, but also get these guys that are averaging seven, eight yards per carry the ball. To your point about the short passes, there are there are I think there's certainly ways that we can we can like index on the, the the intermediate passing game. It has to happen. Not everything can be a play action, uh, you know, home run ball. Like that doesn't that's not necessarily effective, especially when you're not running the ball very well and you're not dynamic in the triple. So I think if we have 60 plays and of those 60 plays, we have 45 call runs, 20, 20 to 25 of those call runs need to be directed, like need to be explicitly for A-backs to get the ball in their hands. It doesn't have to just be Mikel. I think we have a really, really athletic group of A-backs. So like if we can get 25 touches, deliberate touches in the A-backs hands, averaging seven to eight yards per carry, that's 200 plus yards. Uh, if my math is correct. You know, somebody, I'm sure somebody got the calculator out, but that's 200 plus yards of offense generated with your best players. And I think that if we can do that, then everything else will kind of take care of itself. Well, I'll read the numbers real quick before I ask Eric to weigh in on this. But Ty Lavatai, the quarterback, has 36 rushing attempts. He's averaging two yards per carry. The fullbacks, Dabo Fafana, Logan Point, Anton Hall are next 24, 22, and 17 carries. They're averaging 2.6, 3.3, and 4.4 yards per carry. That's Anton has the best average among the fullbacks, but he's also got the fewest carries, and that's because he's fumbled the ball three times. And then Mikel Haywood is fifth on the team with 14 touches. After that, the next slot back is Daniel Jones, three touches, and he's averaging 5.3 yards per carry. So I think it just goes to the point that Keenan just made is you got slot backs who, when they get the ball in their hands, are getting good gains, but they're not getting the ball. Uh, that Your two starting slot backs, Haywood and Jones and Vincent Terrell, that's your top three guys, have a total of, uh, what, 17, 19 carries. Um, so, Eric, what's your thoughts? Because I know you don't want to see the fullbacks lose their touches, but so far the fullbacks haven't produced. Yeah, the fullbacks have not produced, so you can't really, you know, go to that corner. But I think Kenny kind of hit a spot on, you know. We, we got two weeks off and, you know, see something different. See something different that's going to, you know, gonna, you know excite the guys. That, that fullback scene pass, that's phenomenal. I haven't seen that play in, in quite some time. Even I think the last time I saw it was with Teach. And then B-back screens would be amazing. Um, I always like to see those. But overall, our it, the show runs with Ty, and we, I, I want him to show up. You know, we talked about it last year. We talked about he was hurt a little bit, banged up, you know, kind of hesitant. But I, I really, really want him to come downhill and use his size, use, use, his, use his physique and power, run the ball as he should run. You know, he's not a finesse guy. He's not one of those he, – he's a little more tight hip, but he wants to run downhill. So I'm looking forward to, a, you know – 17 point spread is not a not a good thing. I, Chris, you even know when the last time we were 17 point dogs, like it had to be a Notre Dame a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I we were more than 17 against Notre Dame last year. I, I believe. Okay. I'm sure. I'll go back and double check. But it, it is it's not something that is a, a normal occurrence against an AAC team. Yeah. No. So I, I want you know the guys to show up, the guys to play. Um, you know, and, and more importantly, you know, this is going to show, um, you know, who we are after an early bye week and what the coaches staff can do because the coaches right now, you know, they're, uh, they're worried about, you know, the, the next game and then the season and, 
and everything else. So it's a very uh, important game for uh, the players, the staff, and, you know, uh, you know, the whole Naval Academy. Well, I agree wholeheartedly with Eric because the next game is at Air Force out in Colorado Springs. So I don't think you want to be 0 for 3 and not playing good football still when you travel out there for a very important And that place is, and Kenny can talk about that place is not easy to play at. Altitude, no. breathing, it's, it's, it's tough. So before we have a very special alumni spotlight subject, before we get to that, uh, Chris Cervello, our producer, you have any thoughts for the guys, any questions for Eric and Keenan that you've thought of from a more of a fan type standpoint? I guess the only thing would be, and you guys touched on it a little bit. I mean, two weeks is a long time to be off. Um, yes, it, you know, you talked about all the ways that it can help you improve after a slow uh, first two weeks. Um, any expectation that, you know, we come out slow, like, can it have the opposite effect on you when you're not playing that great that, you know, taking two weeks off can, can make things worse. And will it take you a few drives to, you know, further knock the rust off? Or do you think that they start uh, quickly uh, against DCU? I I, I agree with your first statement. I know for me personally, you know, taking a couple weeks off, you kind of get a little lax days where you're not getting hit as much and you kind of want, you know, to get back at it, but you know, there's nothing like game shape. And like I said earlier, a couple more podcasts ago, that you know, at this bye week is way too early for you know, for a player. I believe you know, you want to get the you know, the flow and momentum of you know how it's working in and out. It's also not just football; it's your class schedule and it's other things that go into it. So I know for me, I'd want you know, want a later week and hopefully by midterms or, or later on that I need more time to study and get back to the grades of that aspect. But uh, you know, hopefully they start fast. I don't know though. Yeah, I would say like they can't start any slower. So I feel like there's only there's only up from here. So I'm actually I'm not too worried about that. And I, I think that over the the bye week, I, I, I'm not sure about how the practices went as far as like the, the intensity. But I would assume that uh, Coach Kenny got after them pretty tough, you know, uh, in these practices. Hopefully they did some hitting. They ran some extra gassers, you know, what I'm saying like some going back to the basics, right? Like. We got to find a way to, to, to get back to our culture, to get back to what we do. And so I know that that's the way that, that we do it. And that's how we, we, we remedy the problems that we've seen in the first two games. Hey, I, I've got one, one more. Um, you know, as I'm putting together the, the notes for our newsletter, it says Navy's won three of its last four games away from Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, the exception being last year's Notre Dame game. What are your thoughts about getting away from the academy, um, you know, when you need a win. Uh, th- thoughts there. Is it easier to play on the road, uh, less distractions, or does, does it matter at this level? Uh, you know, for me, I, I, was actually, I was actually listening to uh, or watching this, this uh, TV show called ESPN, and the main guy was talking about uh, the quarterback for University of Miami, the U, and he actually said the opposite. He said he likes to go to away games because – you know, there's a, a bigger crowd there because the stadium they have there is it's um it's not close enough for the students to go to and the fan base isn't really loyal. Um, but for us, I, I always had a great time at home. I, I enjoyed it. And I, the hotel we're gonna go to, you know, my family's gonna be there, my friends. So you know, going away, it is nice getting away from the academy and all the stressors and rigors. But you know, for, you know, school's so hard. I don't want to miss an extra day of class it's just because I want to you know be in class and make sure my grades are, are ready to go for that semester. I don't know how things have changed, but the players these days are saying they like going on the road because they like getting away from the academy. It's just a business trip. It's only them, the players and coaches. Uh, they don't have 
to worry about school or any other kind of academy stressors, military obligations. So the current climate guys like the road trips. Keenan, what was your recollection? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's a pretty good analysis of kind of the road. I like traveling because I didn't like going to class. And uh, so I enjoyed <laughs> missing my missing my Fridays. <laughs> I was always sad, though. You know what I'm saying? I never had any problems with not being sad. But uh, being able to like like really like for for like a weekend, you kind of can pretend that like football is the only thing that you do. Right. So you get you get on a plane. You go to the hotel, you get to chill all pretty much all day on Friday, whether it's on the plane or at the hotel on the times where like before Army or Air Force, we would always leave like an extra day the night before. So we leave like Thursday night instead if we're going on a road to Air Force or if we were going oh, to our games. So then you get all day Friday, just focus on nothing but like unwinding and thinking about balls. So like and then you, you go into a hostile environment. You kind of got to band together, right? Like nobody you only got a crop of fans that may that may have come to watch you play and more, more than likely is cheerleaders and uh, your parents. And other than that, everybody's yelling at you. It's loud. They don't care that you went to the Academy. Um, they might give you a little golf clap, but they're probably going to cuss at you and yell at you. Like it's a very electric environment. So, I mean, I think that I enjoy playing on the road because I don't know. I just being able to get away and kind of just focus on ball for, you know, 36 hours was like, was huge. Right. Cause to, to Eric's point, like there's so much going on at the Academy between school and the hall and, making sure your grades are right. And then once you get around six weeks and 12 weeks exams, you're worried about taking sure you're set. So it's like a whole mini, it's like a whole nother world that you're trying to balance in addition to playing at a high level. Well, that wraps up the East Carolina preview. We're going to go to break. And when we return, we are going to be joined by Phil McConkie, who this is the Academy Security Alumni Spotlight and Phil McConkie is Academy Security. So we're really looking forward to hearing from one of our sponsors and a good friend of the podcast and a former great Navy football player. We'll be back from break in a moment. We are so proud that this podcast is sponsored by New Day USA. If you are an active or retired veteran and you need a loan of any sort, conventional mortgage, refinance, home equity, or even a reverse mortgage, you need to call New Day USA. Whereas another lender may turn down your application New Day USA is more likely to say yes. So veterans, active and retired, if you need a home loan of any sort, contact New Day USA. All right, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. It is true, Navy's on the road the next two weeks, but there are three more home games coming this October. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And while you're on NavySports.com, don't forget to sign up for your basketball season tickets. All Navy basketball season ticket holders will be entered to win an authentic Navy football jersey. That's the same jersey they will wear in this year's Army-Navy game. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And finally, while you're on NavySports.com, don't forget about the Veterans Classic. It's happening on Veterans Day, November 11th. Navy brings in Houston, Princeton, and former Navy head coach Billy Lang's squad at St. Joe's. Houston and St. Joe's will play at 6 p.m. on the 11th, and then Navy takes on Princeton later that evening at 8.30. Now back to the pod. All right, welcome back, and it's now time for our Academy Security Alumni Spotlight and our subject tonight, and we're so honored to have him aboard, one of the all-time great legendary players in Navy football history, 
former wide receiver Phil McConkey, and Phil is a sponsor of this Navy football podcast. He sponsors the weekly alumni spotlight uh, uh, segment, and uh, we're really, really pleased, and we're going to have Phil talk about Academy Security, his company that he founded years ago, and it's been so successful. But first, Phil, welcome aboard, and let's talk about your time at Navy football. Phil came from Buffalo, New York. He's an undersized guy, wasn't recruited by a whole lot of schools, and he wound up having a great career at the Naval Academy, uh, put up terrific numbers as a pass receiver and as a punt and kickoff returner. He was the captain of the 1978 Navy football team that went 9-3 and three and I guess upset BYU in the Holiday Bowl. I guess people thought that was an upset, but it was a great win, and Phil scored the winning touchdown in that 23-16 victory. Phil, welcome aboard, and uh, just tell us how you're doing. Bill, thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys and Eric and Keenan, two legends of Navy football. I mean, this incredible resurgence in Navy football over the last 20-something years. Uh, Eric and Keenan are, you know, at the forefront of that. And, you know, I know there's some difficult times going on right now, but boy, I'm just so grateful to what Navy football has been over these last couple of decades. It's almost like we were spoiled for the longest time, you know, with these great teams and Eric and Keenan and their teammates and, you know, just thoroughly enjoyed them watching them, watching them grow and develop into, you know, great uh, officers and then uh, obviously uh, in business now. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, talking about the Holiday Bowl, I'm sitting here at my desk in La Jolla where we moved with my family a few years ago and I can hear the Blue Angels going overhead at Miramar. They're getting ready for an air show this weekend. So uh, San Diego is a great uh, uh, place in my heart. You know, that team that year, uh, we weren't expected to do much. The year before, we had great talent and kind of underachieved, um, but we had great leadership on the team my senior year. And in fact, we got out of the gate. We were, we were 7-0. and We had beat Pittsburgh, who was uh, the number one team in the country, won the national championship just two years before with Tony Dorsett. And we beat them at home uh, to go 7-0. and And I think we were ranked uh, 11th in the country uh, at that point. And then we uh, got beat by Notre Dame. And then, you know, came back in that great Holiday Bowl win. Uh, we were down 16 to three uh, in the third quarter, late in the third quarter. They had Mark Wilson and Jim McMahon as their quarterbacks. They alternated. Um, and the ability of the midshipmen that night to come back, it was just a great moment for Navy football and uh, just so cherish all my teammates uh, in that win. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you, my wife gets on me for not knowing, uh, you know, forgetting what she told me to do <laughs> this morning, but I will describe to you in detail, you know, that December. 23rd 1978 football game I can tell you the way the grass was laying at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego well so uh George Wells the late great George Wells who was the Hall of Fame football coach for Navy and went on to Virginia that 78 season really was the culmination of his rebuilding project he had taken over a program that was really on the rocks and that that season really marked a turnaround that things were going to head in the right direction and Navy had Great success under George from there on out until he left for Virginia. Um, Phil, before we get into talking about your service career, one of the stories I love when you tell, remind me again, when you came out of high school in Buffalo, when you showed up at Navy's plebe, how big were you? I weighed, I weighed 145 pounds uh, and actually played varsity and uh, traveled uh, at 145 pounds, returning punts and kickoffs and getting in a few plays on offense. 
Well, the story that you I love that you tell is that that plebe year, the defensive captain of that team was Chet Moeller. Yeah. And yeah. Chet Moeller is a Hall of Famer, <laughs> college football Hall of Famer, one of the Navy's all-time greats. He's well-known yeah. as a ferocious hitter. Tell us the story about how you realized that you could cut it yeah. at the Division One level. Well, I was on the scout team at that point. I think it was sometime in the summer. Again, I weighed 145 pounds, soaking wet. And Steve Belichick was running the scout team, and he'd hold up the cards for the offense to run against, you know, the first team Navy defense that had, as you said, Chet Moeller. In fact, they had a few other really, really good players. Um, so this play, particular play, called for me to run an in-cut. And I was going to go right through uh, this ferocious Chet Moeller's territory. And the pass comes in. I catch it. And I mean, he obliterates me. He just tears me to shreds. But I hung on to the ball. And I was just giddy for a second. And then I heard Belichick get really upset because somebody had run the wrong route, gave the wrong look to the defense. And he said in his snarly voice, run it again. And I go, run it again. Now he <laughs> knows what's coming. This monster in the secondary, same thing. I come across the middle. I hung onto it and he hit me even harder the second time. I remember taking inventory of all my parts as I'm laying on the ground and realizing I got up and I remember thinking I was still holding on the ball thinking, you know what? I think I might be able to do this. That is a great story. So obviously, Phil, you enjoyed a great career. And I am one will say on this podcast that I think that Phil McConkie should be honored as one of the great Navy players. And I think the retiring of jerseys may be not such a great idea because they're running out of numbers. And Greg Morgenthaler, the equipment manager at Navy, he's already up against it when when Camp started this year. Navy had 180 players, and that's a lot of jerseys, and they're doubling up jerseys already. But I would like to see Phil's jersey honored. I'd like to see his – it was number eight. Was it 80, Phil? 80, correct, Phil. Yep. I would like to see that be an honored jersey at the Naval Academy. I mean, my to my mind, there's, you know, no, there's Ch Roger Stallback, Joe Bellino, Chet Moeller, who we mentioned, Napoleon McCallum, Phil McConkie, Keenan Reynolds, that, that's kind of the uh, the Mount Rushmore of Navy football, in my opinion. So I think Phil deserves that honor. But, Phil, uh, after you graduated from the academy, you became a helicopter pilot. Why don't you just briefly tell us about your service time in the Navy? Yeah, I went to flight school thinking I was going to fly jets. I hear rumbling over my home here in San Diego getting ready for this air show. Um, thought I was going to be a jet pilot, and I realized when I got to Pensacola, doing aerobatics. I just didn't have the stomach for it. So uh, I chose helicopters. I flew H-46s and did vert rep, which was a lot of fun because it was all seat of the pants and I did a med cruise and and got out after five years. Um, but um, yeah, just wonderful time in the Navy. Really enjoyed flying. Uh, had a great time. And uh, yeah, it fulfilled one of my dreams. So Phil, you were one of the remarkable stories similar to Roger Stallback. You served for a period of years and then actually were able to come back and play in the NFL. It is very, very difficult to have a long layoff. Eric and Keenan know this. Uh, Keenan did not have a layoff. He was able to go directly to the NFL. Eric had a couple years where he was at least going to training camps and mini camps, but he wasn't uh, able to play because he had service time. But after two years, Eric was granted permission. But you served longer, I think four 
four plus total years, correct, Bill? Five years from graduation. It was it was the full five. Okay. I wasn't sure if you got out a tad early, but so five years, just like Stallback, and you were able to make it. Kind of talk about being able to come out of the Navy to getting a shot at the NFL, making the roster of the New York Giants, and being able to have a, a very successful career, which winds up as you being a Super Bowl champion and having a ring on your finger. Well, I thought I was going to be in the Navy for a career. I mean, I loved to fly and I thought that was it. And, you know, as a little boy, I wanted to be a pilot and I wanted to score a touchdown the Super Bowl and going to the Naval Academy. I figured I'd get at least one of them. And I was totally content, you know, especially after that Holly Bowl win and going to flight school is excited about that. Um, and kind of really the football thing went on the back burner. I really didn't think about even playing football. And it wasn't really until about three and a half, four years into my commitment where I decided, man, I really missed this. And I, I, I wonder what would have happened. And, and then I decided I didn't want to be a 65 year old guy like I am right now, wondering what if, you know, would I've had the opportunity? Could I have made it? And so I just decided to give up the, the career in the Navy and just go for it. And, you know, people thought I was crazy and didn't have much of a shot. And I was lucky enough to um, get a, a, a tryout uh, with the Giants and really lucky in that Bill Parcells, it was his first year as a head coach and Bill Belichick's first year as a defensive coordinator um, and really extra lucky that those two defensive minded guys, uh, ball security on punt returners was paramount to them because they come up with a scheme to get their defense off the field. The last thing they want is the guy fumbling the punt and they got to go back on the field to defend their turf. And, you know, one thing I can do really, really well was catch punts. And that really got me noticed. And that got me the opportunity um, uh, to make that team. And, you know, just had hit it at the absolute perfect time with those coaches. And then Tom Coughlin came and Romeo Cornell was there. And then my teammates, well, I'm telling you, I just am just incredibly humble, not only at Navy, because unbelievable teammates there. When I get to the Giants and there's Phil Sims and Harry Carson, Carl Banks, Lawrence Taylor, George Martin, just on and on and on of Hall of Fame, incredible players. And, you know, the, the one thing about the reason we became champions, and it's something that I really learned in the Navy, you know, in the Navy or a pilot, you know, hotshot, whatever, but every you got to make everybody feel important or everybody should may, be made to feel important. So, you know, the, the mechanics working on the aircraft to me was as were important as the pilots flying those. And it was the same thing when I got to the Giants. You know, those champion coaches and players knew that everybody's job was important and they made sure that to make everybody feel important. So here I was, you know, an older, smaller guy that just, you know, caught punts. But, you know, Lawrence Taylor treated me as well as he treated, you know, Harry Carson, a Hall of Fame linebacker, because they knew how important uh, it was to make everybody feel important. And when you do that, you know, you can win a world championships, you can win a bowl game, you know, you can succeed in the mission that, you know, all us Navy and Marine Corps uh, guys had gone through. So I, I, I think that's a great lesson for any team. Everybody has to be made to feel important if you want to be successful. So before we have Phil talk about Academy Securities, Keenan and Eric, why don't you guys jump in? Anything you wanted to mention to Phil or ask Phil? Uh, you, know, I, I, you guys have that fraternity you share of being among the very few select few navy football players to enjoy nfl careers and phil certainly had a great one there he's all he and roger stallback are the only navy football player well, and cardona i got that's pretty amazing that there's three navy football players. Kyle 
Was he a part of a Super Bowl team too? Yeah, Kyle Eagles. Echo played Eagles. Uh, with the Saints. Or Saint, was oh, it the Saints, Saints right? Yeah, Saints. Saints. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So guys, go ahead. Well, Phil, I was looking at pictures of you playing, by the way, and that mustache is quite amazing. <laughs> like, can, can you tell us about that? That thing was that thing was yeah, Navy well, standard listen. all the way. Hey, that, was, guys. That, that looked like a Navy chief right there, Phil. For, for, first of all, you got to remember something. When I went to the Naval Academy, it was the summer of 1975. The hair in you know the, this country, everywhere else, coming off of that ex, that Vietnam thing, the hippie movement. If you didn't have hair down to your butt, you know, you stuck out like a sore thumb. And when you had to get your hair cut to go into the Naval Academy, you really did stick out in society. So I remember getting out of the Navy and it's still the 80s then. And, you know, the mullet and mustache was it, you know, and I'm living in New York City. And, you know, I had to keep uh, keep up with the Joneses, I guess. So, you know, I had to go. I just wish right now all that hair on my head. I still have hair, but I just wish it was as black as it was, you know, back then. But the mustache, no, I can't. My wife, uh, my wife won't allow the mustache. That's not coming well, back. Well, Phil, mullets are still in. They, they never left. And the mustache yes. is, is looking good. Mullets <laughs> had a good comeback. <laughs> looking good. But no, I, I appreciate everything everything you said. And it was, a, you know, you serving five years and then coming back is, is it's so impressive. Just with, you know, I, I did two years and then made a team that had to go back to active duty. So it's pretty much two, two or three years, what you want to say, but. Five years of just your just the fast switch muscles and then just getting back into shape. Like I tell me about how it was getting back into shape and, and then you know also being you know a smaller guy, you can be faster, quicker, tougher than everybody else. So it's even you know harder. So I remember my last duty station was in Pensacola and I lived at the beach with one of my best friends who was in company right next to mine at the academy. And the training that I did was so incredibly exhausting. So I, I, at that point, you know, I'm barely 160 pounds. I hadn't played football in five years, 27 years old. And I just felt like I somehow I had to find a way to reverse the aging process. And the only way I knew was full speed. And every single day, the, the sprints and the lifting uh, to complete ex exhaustion, you know, or I'd see my last meal come up again. Uh, and that was every single day. And I remember going to training camp, my first training camp. Again, this is the first day of Pilt Parcells being a head coach and Belichick being a, a defensive coordinator. And we had two-a-days that lasted for like two months. I mean, we had 40 straight days of two-a-days. And after the first morning practice, because I was going a million miles an hour, Parcells came up to me and said, you better slow down, son. This is a long camp. You're going to burn yourself out. But I just knew one way, um, and that was full speed. And I figured – you know, I'm going to give it everything I have to achieve this dream. And again, I'll go back to, you know, you have to be in shape and you have to do all that. But I think, again, the ability to catch punts for me was so key, at least initially getting a look, because that's how initially I, I made that team. That's awesome. And I actually remember uh, when I was with the Patriots, we uh, walked through the Patriots Hall of Fame. They have like on the, in Foxborough. And I remember I was walking through um, and then I got, you know, tapped my shoulder by Bill's right-hand man, Bears, he goes, hey, Bill wants to see you. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm getting cut right now in the Hall of Fame. This is great. Um, but he's a, I walk up there, and Bill showed me actually some of your uh, your stuff that's in the Hall of Fame there. So it was really, really interesting to see that stuff as well. Yeah, it was, it was really, you know, an incredible experience, the whole thing. And, 
You know, it's kind of funny, guys. You'll learn this as you get older, 65 years old, but I might be going on 25 in a lot of ways because, you know, once you're a competitor, it never leaves you. And you think that you can still do the same things that you did when you were younger. And and uh, I'm still a competitor. And you guys are the same way. And it's going to serve you well as, as you continue. And, you know, these careers that you got right now, I'm, I'm excited for you too. Um, all your teammates on, you know, you know what the future holds because it's it's big and it's bright out there. And I think you guys are already experiencing that. I'm talking to you like you're younger than you are, but to me, it's all relative. But um, I, I think that competitive spirit that we all share, what we went through, the team oriented, caring about each other, making everybody feel important uh, is incredibly fulfilling. Here's the, the other thing too is, you guys will realize, I say this line to people and they quite don't understand, but I know you two guys will understand this. I'm comfortable being uncomfortable because my whole life I was uncomfortable, right? I was too small. I, you know, nobody went to college where I came from and, you know, everything. So I was always uncomfortable, but it becomes, it becomes a comfortable position to be in. So conversely, you're, you're uncomfortable when you're comfortable or it's too soft in life. And, and uh, it, but it'll serve you well. It served me well. And, you know, we have so, such an incredible amount in common besides the age gap. Um, but I was just am just, a, you know, enamored with you two guys and have been a fan of yours and, you know, watched intently uh, your careers, not only at Navy, but, you know, as you're finished and uh, continue to be fans of you two guys. Appreciate that, Phil. I actually have a kind of a, a story anecdote that I kind of mentioned it in our, in our last alumni spotlight with uh, Admiral Lynch, but Phil was definitely somebody that I reached that I was able to connect with and reach out to when I was making my transition out of football and trying to get into the corporate world and having someone that has, that has started a successful business on Wall Street and that has grown that business in, into what it is today. Like those are the type of people that you want to interface with. And when you come and play Navy football, you have access to hundreds of guys that have like that have played the played in the same program going on to do great things in the civilian world and that are are there for you and pick up your call to answer and, and give you advice like what you're hearing from Phil right now um, about how to you know take what we've done on the football field and then apply it in the other mediums of life. So kind of like piggybacking on that, my kind of my question is like when you pivoted out of ball, you're done flying helicopters and now you're going into entrepreneurship. You talked about a lot of the things that you carry, but as you come into the entrepreneur in that corporate world, you're at the bottom of the ladder and you're trying to work your way up to where you are now. Like were those some of the, I mean, obviously those things are important, but like what are some other things or lessons learned in that climb uh, that you, when you got started that have kind of helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, I think you're, you're dead on Keenan. You know, you, 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 you know, it just seems like in your life, there's these series of mountains that you climb and you you struggle and you sacrifice to get to a certain point. And then before you know it, you're, you're down at the bottom again. Right? You got to claw and work your way up. And that, that happened, you know, frequently and, you know, in our lives. And, you know, I think for me, I'm kind of fortunate that I was in the financial capital of the world, New York City, and, you know, playing with the Giants those years and Super Bowls. Um, I can get in a lot of doors, which was half the battle. Um, I remember Bob Cousy. I read a book and Bob Cousy talked about, you know, the great NBA Boston Celtic. He talked about and he had an incredibly successful business career. And he talked about how his name and his celebrity 
got him in a lot of doors, but he said that was only half the battle. If you didn't have something to offer, if you didn't have something of substance uh, or, or credibility, you know, they'd want to go to dinner with you or have a beer, but that would be it. Uh, but when you had substance and resources and capabilities is when you could take that celebrity and that access and take it to a different level to be successful. So here I am in the financial capital of the world, um, uh, having the ability to get in all the doors. But, you know, in the beginning, I went down to the bottom again, right? I mean, I turned down a couple coaching jobs with Parcells and Belichick early on because I, I wanted to leave football behind to go to my next career. And so I started at the bottom. You know, I went to school. I got all my licenses. I got my securities licenses. I got my real estate license. I got my, you know, insurance license. I'm sitting in a class with, you know, much younger people starting at the bottom. And but I always knew that that's what it took. That's how I established the foundation and everything else I did. And and, you know, rightfully so. But, you know, at the end of the day, you think, you know, the mentality that you have is that you haven't arrived is as much as you've accomplished, there's much more to do. And I, I still feel like I, I got to get up at five in the morning to get to the gym. And I'm training and I'm working out for what, I don't know, although I still run in master's track meets. So I got to be in shape for that. But I think once you're a competitor, you know, that, that sense never leaves you. Every single day, there's a challenge that you need to overcome or want to overcome. Uh, because again, you're comfortable being uncomfortable. So Long-winded answer again, uh, Keenan, uh, to that question. But uh, I think that at the end of the day, when you're a competitor, uh, like we were and are, you know, there's nothing you can't accomplish. Well, hundred percent. I really appreciate the the insight. Totally agree. And uh, you know, I always find it interesting to to listen to people talk about you know their success stories and how they got to where they are. And the, the, the fun thing about it is it's, it's surprisingly simple, yet so difficult at the same time. Um, so really appreciate the insight. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and, you know, I, I know you wanted to segue, Bill, and I think that's a good segue into what we're doing now. Uh, you know, that this, this next and, you know, maybe last facet of my life, business-wise anyways, Academy Securities. Um, so, Bill, if this is the appropriate time, we can segue into that if you'd like. Right. Well, I think Chris wanted to ask you a question, but real quick, let's have you talk about Academy Securities, how you found the company, what the company's about. Just like our other sponsor, New D USA, you're doing good things for veterans. That's what it's all about. So why don't you just give us a quick summation of the company? And then I think to close out, Chris wanted to ask you one last question before we let you go. Sure. Um, and, and by the way, Academy Securities was founded by a Naval Academy graduate, not me, my business partner, Chance Mims, he's 97 graduate of the Academy. Uh, he played squash. Um, and I met Chance through his classmate who was a Navy SEAL out here in San Diego, you know, around the time he was starting the company. And um, it's been a great partnership. So he had an idea, you know, I had all that Wall Street experience. I moved to San Diego and I meet Chance and he's starting this broker dealer right at the height of the financial crisis, the last one, 2008, 2009. And I thought he was crazy for, for, for attempting to do something like that. But, you know, his approach was very unique. He was going to have a disabled veteran uh, investment bank. So what that means is you're a mini JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs, uh, but you're hiring and training military veterans for careers in financial services while you're um, uh, helping your clients, which are Fortune 500 companies, uh, hedge funds, pension funds, you know, municipalities, state, local governments. Um, 
And, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have capabilities to fulfill some of the needs of those entities. Uh, but then you have to have that social notion to fulfill that, to hire and train, you know, military veterans for careers in financial services. And, you know, having that mentality took us from basically a startup uh, back then to going against firms that had been in the diversity, diversity and inclusion space for decades and decades and vaulting to the very top of the league tables in that space um, because, you know, we're authentic, we're hiring and training veterans, but as or more important, you know, we're aiding uh, these companies with differentiated resources. We have 17 retired admirals and generals on our, our uh, uh, board right now. Uh, and what they do is help our clients navigate the geostrategic risk landscape. You know, when you're involved in capital markets, if you're managing assets, you know, the news comes out, the Iranians are threatening to close the Straits of Hormuz. And what's that going to do to capital markets? How is it going to affect the transaction that you want to issue, you know, tomorrow of $10 billion? You know, these entities are coming to us. We put them in touch with our assets and, you know, we're very helpful. And then being engaged like that and being on those transactions allows us to hire and train more of these military veterans. So it's been a, a labor of love. It's been a great success. And we've transformed the lives of, you know, so many of our young heroes. Look, the only war I served in was a Cold War. You know, a lot of our uh, kids and their kids to me, but they're absolute heroes. You know, they uh, took they took the live rounds and, you know, they suffered. Uh, but, you know, uh, with us, they're, they're thriving today and can't be more proud of those kids. Bill, um, before uh, we close it out, I, I wanted to give you one chance or a couple seconds to talk about your daughter. Uh, you're also oh, an Academy dad, uh, which I yeah. think is pretty. I mean, Naval Academy grad, uh, helicopter pilot, uh, Super Bowl champion, and Naval Academy dad. Um, so that 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 really kind of rounds out the whole experience for you, doesn't it? Well, you know, I'm still. She's she just started her youngster year. What I don't know. What has it been? 14 months, whatever. And it's still so surreal to me that my daughter, my baby, my only child. I started late. My wife is a lot younger than I am. Started late. We had our daughter and. Believe me, you know, when you talk about the successes you have in your life, you know, you can't have all successes, you got to have failures. And I have, you know, and I'll name all my failures on a different show. But one of my failures was, um, I try to spoil my daughter, and I failed miserably at spoiling her because to end up at the Naval Academy when she had, you know, a lot more choices, especially more than I did, you know, it's a testament to her and my wife, her mother, that, you know, she uh, took the hard route <laughs> to go to the Naval Academy again. Uh, uh, it's still very surreal for me to have her there now, but uh, I couldn't be more proud of her and her classmates and all those kids there. The kids today, listen, again, I got to that place just after Vietnam had ended. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't be able to get into the Naval Academy today. The quality of those uh midshipmen today is much greater than they were in the 70s and probably the 80s, uh, but we're in great hands and we should all be proud of uh, our midshipmen. Well, that wraps up another tremendous episode of the One and Only Navy Football Podcast. Uh, thanks for hanging in there, listeners. We know it was a little longer than usual, but this was a special one because we had Phil, our good friend and former Navy great, and of course, one of our sponsors and we thank Academy Securities for being with us on the Navy Football Podcast. Uh, between Tom Lynch and Phil McConkie, I couldn't think of any two better people to be partnered with. And it's an honor that they support this podcast. For Eric Keenan, Chris Sabello, our producer, and Phil McConkie, I'm Bill Wagner. We'll talk to you next week when we wrap up 
the East Carolina game.